0: There is power in the Himalayas' many mountain tops. They are purpose-made stone, offering paths to realization and a sense of profound achievement of strength, determination, and will at their tops. Mountains have long served as endpoints of pilgrimages, to Mount Everest straddling the Nepal-China border, to Mount Kailash on the Tibetan plateau, and to Mount Meru in the Indian Himalayas, often called the navel of the universe. Summits offer perspective, a chance to look back down at your footprints with clarity. Yet for every mountain, there is a valley residing below. If the expanse of a desert humbles and the restriction of a forest disorientates, the intimacy of a valley comforts, providing tranquility and a shield from the forces of exposure. In valleys, thoughts don't float away across an ocean or a plain, never to return. They remain to be incubated. Around the world, seekers climb mountains to achieve that clarity, or to be closer to their gods. But it is the valleys below in which their intentions solidify, and from which they take their first steps. In these sanctuaries, pilgrims can bask in the possibility of what lies ahead and above.
1: That's Canadian journalist Harley Rusted reading from his book, Lost in the Valley of Death. It's a story of obsession and danger in the Himalayas. I'm Ambreen Khan, and this is Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Lost in the Valley of Death is the nonfiction account of the wandering life and the sad end of Justin Alexander Shetler, an American who disappeared in India in 2016. Shetler was described by friends as a bit of a lost boy, someone who tried on a string of identities, mountain man, Sioux, rock star, and tech executive. But he never seemed to have a real home, traveling by motorcycle and foot across the United States, Thailand, and finally, the remote Bhavati Valley of India. Justin, who was 35 at the time when he vanished, saw himself firmly in the tradition of a mystic and a seeker, delving into iterations of Christianity, Native American spirituality, Buddhism, and Hinduism. Eventually, he took his mother's advice, find your own truth. It was a quest from which he never returned. In 2022, producer Kimberly Winston spoke with Harley Rusted from his home in Toronto to learn more.
2: Harley, tell us a little bit about Justin
0: Alexander and how you first came across his story. Unlike a lot of tourists and travelers who visit India, he had a very clear direction and motivation and goal in mind for this trip to India, which was to go to the Himalayas essentially as fast as possible to find this small corner of the mountains, of these sacred mountains and spend a lot of time there to find a cave, one of these these sites that throughout history have been places of transformation and have a revelatory moment. Three years before, he had quit his job at this tech company, gave away most of his belongings, and embarked on, on this long journey across the U.S. and then eventually abroad. When Justin arrived in India... He found his way to the mountains and to this one tiny corner of the Himalayas called the Parvati Valley. And there he found exactly what he was looking for. And his time there culminated in living in a cave for almost a month, very isolated, testing himself both physically and mentally, and then embarking on a pilgrimage with a sadhu, a a Hindu holy man, to the glacial source of the holy Parvati River which is where Justin ultimately tragically vanished.
2: Justin was well prepared for outdoor physical adventures. He didn't go to high school. He went to wilderness school, and he trained in all these extreme wilderness adventures, survivalism, and sport. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Mm -hmm. He withdrew from high school and entered into this place called the Wilderness Awareness School, which is up in the conifer forests of Washington State. And it's an offshoot of a school based in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey called the Tracker School, this legendary wilderness survival school. And Justin became the protege of this main leader from this legendary tracker uh, from the New Jersey school. And he was somebody who was so accomplished and so skilled, he could do whatever he wanted at the school, dip in and out of classes. He taught the young students. And emerged as somebody who was not only proficient, but committed. He could start a fire with, you know, a bow drill in 15 seconds, you know, faster than, than I could with a lighter and paper, almost kind of a freak of nature with the things he could do, but so deeply committed to learning these skills, these, these really tangible ways to not only survive building shelters, starting fires, you know, catching animals, all that kind of stuff, but also the, more philosophical and spiritual connections to nature and to the planet. At those schools, it was really deeply rooted in Native American traditions. And he deeply, deeply identified with some of those traditions and found solace, his deepest connection when he's out completely by himself in the forest, up the mountain, really doing some introspection, but also deeply pushing himself physically and spiritually and emotionally and mentally Part of pushing
2: himself included making deep dives into different religions and spiritual traditions. Here's Harley on Justin's spiritual wanderings. Like many of his generation, Justin was searching for spiritual expressions that resonated with him personally, cobbling together morals, teachings, and elements of various faiths to form his own. In many ways, he fit into the 21st century surge of believers who consider themselves spiritual rather than religious. Truth is the one word that many who knew him used to describe the goal of Justin's longtime quest. He often spoke of his path to truth when describing what he sought in life. He acknowledged that at the base of religion, there was a kernel of real truth, but in his view, spirituality was simple. It was seeking the connection that existed between people and with the world around us. As his mother had often told him, all he had to do was find his own truth. So he's trained to survive in the wilderness, but he's living in a world where we don't need to do that anymore. He had a job as a waiter. He trained in massage therapy. You say he even had a couple of shifts as a stripper. And then suddenly he finds himself as an executive in a startup company and traveling all around the world and making huge amounts of money. Along the way, it seems everywhere he went Somebody was there to say, oh my gosh, this guy's so great, I must bring him into my realm. What was it about Justin that made him so charismatic that all these people he bumped up to in all these different realms of his life wanted to take care of him, remembered him? wanted to hire him. He, he just showed, he's like a, like Zelig in that way. He shows up
0: everywhere. Hmm. There are these certain people that walk this earth that are like magnets and people are drawn to them and they, they almost kind of radiate. They have this kind of aura. And this one thing that one commonality that a lot of people mentioned was that when you were sitting down with him one-on-one it felt like you were the most important person to Justin in that moment. He was so present with you. He was so interested in who you are and your story. Even though if you go on his Instagram account, which is still present, it's still active today, you may easily write him off as somebody who you know, takes his shirt off too easily or is posing or is a little arrogant. The people who knew him and crossed paths with him knew him as somebody who was very gentle, very kind, but so present and so almost in desperate need of that intimate connection with people. It was clear that there was a not only kind of curiosity at the root of that to try to figure out where he fit in this world, but also a kind of deep dissatisfaction with the things that he tried. And he was somebody... Who who did these things to the fullest. You know, he he did become a quite successful, you know, lead singer and songwriter for a band based out of San Francisco. And he did become very successful in a tech startup in Miami. And that really spoke to his devotion to these things, that he could shift. He was a bit of a chameleon. Whatever circumstance you put him in, he would change his colors and put on a fancy Armani suit, and then two months later be you know, training a Marine Corps uh, group in survival techniques. Yes. And to me, that was fascinating. But I also sort of came to see it as, as quite sad in some ways that he never quite found his full expression uh, as, a, as a person, as a human. And really, but really, really tried to to find that and to achieve that people who only knew him through Instagram, longtime friends and, and new travel acquaintances, and every single one of them, when I messaged them or reached out to them, would say, oh, I remember him. At the same time, one of the themes of Justin's
2: life is constantly being alone. He wanted to be alone. The last thing he wanted to do was to go to one of the most remote valleys in the world, find a cave and live in it alone. He did not have any major romance relationships in his life. He was an only child. And while he had all these people who felt close to him, he had a, quote, community. They were a social media community. I found that really paradoxical about him. Was there anything about him spiritually that drove him to be alone, did he need isolation and aloneness to fulfill his spirit?
0: Hmm. I think I think he did. You know, he had a lot of very challenging early relationships with his family and with his close friends when he was a teenager, and because he bounced around so often, a lot of those friendships were fleeting and inconsistent, and that was a current that continued throughout his life. And at times, he would throw himself into these communities and have tons of friends. When he was in, in San Francisco, he had this enormous, wonderful community. And then on social media, it was this you know, very disparate, fragmented community of people who bounce in and bounce out of your life and feeding you uh, these comment and satisfaction and all these things that that can come from social media that can be wonderful, but that can also have a dark side, was somebody that knew that his greatest expression has most often come in his life when he was alone in the mountains or in the forest, and yet was torn. Yet he wanted the connection. He, he desperately wanted a relationship, even though he, he knew he could never really maintain one that fit with this life of perpetual seeking and, and constantly on the road. And so it was always this balance and this struggle and this paradox between somebody who deeply wanted relationships and friendships and connection to something bigger, but also knew that throughout history, some of the greatest thinkers, some of the greatest spiritual leaders have had their moment of isolation, of solitude, on the mountain, under the tree, by the riverbank, that have given them their greatest revelation. And I think that was ultimately what constantly pushed Justin, was this seeking for that moment. And I think Justin always saw that, always saw that he just had to push himself a little bit further. He just had to isolate himself for a little bit longer. And the tragedy in the story is that at the end, his story ended in darkness.
2: Harley, you first wrote about Justin for the magazine Outside. How did you first hear about him and his story?
0: I had been to India a couple times before I'd spent almost two years there, and I had heard about the Parvati Valley as this place of incredible beauty, you know big mountain vistas, these holy rivers, little villages clinging to the mountainside, temples, the mist that rolls in, the rain that hits it and but also as this place of with a very dark history and the Parvati Valley has had this reputation as a place where people have disappeared almost once a year, going back to the early 90s. I'd kept in touch with Indian media over the years and I came across this one story in, in the fall of 2016 about this American man named Justin who had been living in a cave and, and was the latest person to disappear in this valley with this long, dark, tragic history. I knew that there was an important story to be told in his life.
1: You're listening to producer Kimberly Winston in conversation with Harley Rustad, a Canadian journalist and the author of Lost in the Valley of Death, a story of obsession and danger in the Himalayas. When we come back, we'll place Justin Alexander Shetler in the long history of young white men who embark on dangerous spiritual quests into the wilderness and fail to come back. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Stay with us. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm Ambreen Khan. This week, we're revisiting Kimberly Winston's conversation with Harley Rustad, author of Lost in the Valley of Death. It's a book that was at the top of Kimberly Winston's 2022 summer reading list. It's about a young American man named Justin Alexander Shetler. He disappeared on a spiritual quest in India in 2016, and it was his last adventure was to this spectacularly beautiful but dangerously remote Barvati Valley. Some describe it as a gateway to the mystic reaches of the Himalayas. And it was there that Justin found a sadhu, a sort of wandering Hindu holy man. Justin spoke no Hindi, and the holy man spoke no English. And yet, after only a brief acquaintance, Justin persuaded the sadhu to take him on a perilous hike to a remote and sacred lake. Now, as we get back to the conversation, producer Kimberly Winston begins by reading a section from Harley's book where he's quoting from a social media post that Justin composed right before he left on that trip.
2: Some caves are inhabited by sadhus, eccentric, mostly naked Indian men living in the wild who follow an ancient, Mystical yogic tradition. They meditate in caves for months or years at a time, smoking Indian pipes of the world's finest hashish and renouncing the world in search of enlightenment. I plan on doing my own version of that, and it's something I've been called to do for years now. Not to renounce the world or become enlightened, but to wander alone in these majestic Himalayas, eat from the land, drink straight from the rivers, sleep in caves. Meditate and play my flute to the mountains to be human. P.S. If I get in trouble or begin to starve, I can hike down to a village and get help or eat. I won't die. I asked Rustad if he thinks Justin was running to or running away from something when he found the sadhu who changed his life.
0: There was definitely... Things that he was running away from, no question. There was a period of his life when he was a young boy and a teenager that was deeply traumatic and tragic. And I think a lot of these steps that he took were a way to get as far away as he can from that. And in, so in that case, I think he was running from his past, his history, from these complicated relationships, and from some of the things that he endured as a young kid. But I think he also quite powerfully was running towards something that he felt would change his life. Yeah. And in that moment that we sometimes all want when we go traveling, which is to be changed, to be transformed, to come back as a better person, to have learned something. Those are all simple versions of, I think, what Justin ultimately sought. But I think he wanted that that moment, was absolutely running towards the mountaintop, the metaphorical mountaintop, where he could climb as high as he possibly could. And there at the top, he would be able to see where he came from and where he was going. Both of those forces, I think, expressed themselves at different times in his life. And I think both of those forces appeared in the Parvati Valley in India in those final months.
2: So, when Justin gets to the Parvati Valley, he finds the cave that he wants to live in. And not long after he arrives, he picks up or attaches himself to a guru. And the guru's name is Satnarayan Rawat. Tell us a little bit about Satnarayan Rawat.
0: So, Justin met uh, this sadhu, this, this Hindu holy man who are people who've essentially given up all their worldly possessions and embarked on this very austere, very ascetic uh, journey towards moksha towards, towards enlightenment. And Justin met him very early in his time in the poverty Valley. And because Justin posted about this on social media, there's this whole record of their encounter and their relationship over these weeks that Justin was living in his cave. And, he became kind of a mentor to Justin. And it was very clear that Justin saw something in Rawat that that he felt that he could learn something from this, this sort of wise old mystic who had embarked upon this very austere and very devoted spiritual path. And it was clear that Justin idolized that in, to some degree. And they developed this quite close, you know, as close as you can to somebody who doesn't speak a lot of Hindi or doesn't speak a lot of English relationship of essentially a guru and a chela and a chela is a not necessarily a servant but a, a a disciple of of that guru who would perform uh actions for him or kind of help him in exchange for mentorship and for for teaching justin very clearly became enamored with him and they as their relationship progressed this sadhu invited him on a pilgrimage to the highest point in the valley, this holy lake called Mantalai Lake. Their plan was to spend weeks there meditating, um, you know, sleeping out under the stars as this, you know, for Justin and what I've said before, as this kind of final journey to hopefully achieve what he's always wanted to achieve. That was the final fateful journey. One man returned and one man did not.
2: Justin often seemed to have the need for some sort of a guru, uh, whether it was Stalking Wolf or some of the other folks that he met in wilderness school. Um, You even see it in the books that you say he read or he carried with him. Uh, He was a big devotee of Joseph Campbell, who wrote The Hero with a Thousand Faces. He carried Siddhartha. I love that you say that he didn't particularly like Jack Kerouac's on the road because, of course, Kerouac never needed anybody. But you also talk about there being a a dangerous side to picking up an itinerant guru in India. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: You're absolutely right. Justin was somebody who always had these complicated relationships with father figures, Um, going back to his own father, this very off-and-on-again fraught relationship. And he always sought out these father figures at the wilderness awareness schools to mentor under or study under and idolize. And that continued throughout his life. And in India has this long history of people going there searching for their guru that goes back, you know, centuries. You know, Steve Jobs went there long before he founded Apple in search of a guru and had this hugely transformative experience. The Beatles went there following a guru uh, that George Harrison was enamored with. And, you know, write, wrote some crazy music in Rishikesh and, and wean themselves off LSD. What is challenging is that that relationship is ultimately one based on power. One person has the knowledge and one person is desperate for that knowledge. And in some cases, that can be a beautiful thing. It can end up in a wonderful exchange of experiences and understanding, but it's also one that can prove deeply dark and deeply troublesome, where one person knows that they have control over their disciple and can encourage them or push them to do things or to extremes that they would never do otherwise. And I think for Justin, who had a pretty good head on his shoulders, he also had a blind spot, and that was trust. He deeply, in some ways, wonderfully wanted to trust people see the good in people, whoever they were. And at times that was great, but at other times it ended up in some very dangerous circumstances throughout his life. And in the end, you know, the man, the sadhu who he did meet, there are many questions as to what happened up in in the valley on the way to this holy lake. And ultimately that relationship was broken.
2: So there's this whole theme Uh, among young white men from Western civilization who seem to have this absolute need to engage in risky behavior that really could end their lives. Uh, I'm thinking of Christopher McCandless, uh, the young man who was the subject of John Krakauer's book, Into the Wild, and the film of the same name. Um, I'm thinking of Rob Hall, who died on Everest and was um, uh, another subject of a, a John Krakauer book. And I'm thinking of various free solo climbers who leap off El Capitan in Yosemite and sometimes die. Uh, there's this wonderful passage in Into the Wild where Krakauer takes a break from talking about McCandless and says, I know this feeling. I know this drive to push yourself very close to death. And I... I'm like what is the lure of this type of behavior because it seems so primal for many of these young men does it have a spiritual aspect to it
0: you're i mean i think you're totally right and i think there's a lot of factors at play um that almost kind of come together for some young men as kind of a perfect storm and there's definitely a level of entitlement that they can achieve anything as long as they try hard enough, as long as they push themselves hard enough. I think there's a restlessness of, you know, a lot of generations, definitely McCandless's generation, definitely um, Justin's generation, and I think still today, an almost kind of backlash against mundanity and conformity that makes them feel that there's this desire to live a life of great adventure and great deed and great importance. We all maybe identify with that in some degree. We all want to leave our mark on the world. But I think that push in some young men coupled with entitlement and, you know, no small measure of overconfidence and hubris sometimes, you know, that kind of whatever adventure, whatever trial can be endured and overcome That all of that kind of comes together to be this incredible wind at their backs. And I think there is something perhaps lacking in some people's lives. There's so many people who are moving away from organized religion and now identifying as spiritual in whatever kind of form that may be. And I think in that wake, for a lot of people, it's this whole of uncertainty, it's this whole of of where do I fit into something bigger than myself? And to fill that hole takes a lot. In the absence of kind of pure faith in something, you need to fill that with experiences, with risk, with extremes, with, with sensation. And I think in that, through that lens, You can see that throughout history, going back to Christopher McCandless and Everett Ruiz in the 1930s, who who disappeared in the American Southwest and a number of of young men of which, you know, Justin is, is the latest in this long history. There was a deep hole. There was this deep uncertainty that, and they all kind of had the privilege to be able to see it through. That some, some people don't. Some people have these questions, but don't have the capability or the, the privilege to be able to step out that door initially and quit your job and go traveling indefinitely. And so that search continues. It's almost a search without end, because the higher you go, there will always be another cloud-covered peak that you can't quite reach, or that is just on the horizon,
2: I want to ask you, what do you think is the moral of Justin's life?
0: Hmm. As a reporter and as a writer, I can often be quite distant from subjects. And there's almost kind of rules in place that you should not, you know, get too close to your subjects. And, And obviously, I never spoke with Justin. I never met him. And at the beginning, I didn't know who he was and I fell down the rabbit hole of his social media accounts, and I talked with his family, and I talked with his close friends, and then I extended my net wider, and I traveled to India twice to interview all these people, some of the last people to see him alive. Maybe the moral, or at least my, my takeaway, something that really has resonated with me throughout working on this story and, and still does today, is this never-ending desire to that we may we all have different paths to try to find out who we are and how we fit into, into life or the world or to Mother Nature or to the cosmos. And I think the, the moral, if there is one, is to never stop walking, is to never, in your own way, to never stop exploring, whether that's the world out there or internally, is to maintain this, this deep, wonderful curiosity about other people, about other places, and about how we kind of all fit together into something bigger. And that, to me, I'll always keep with me. And it's been wonderful to hear feedback from people who have connected with something similar. That even beyond his life, he continues to still inspire people to do that to be curious, to step out of your door, to try something. Maybe not push yourself quite as far as he did in some cases, but to push yourself. And I think that's a really wonderful legacy to, to leave behind.
1: That was producer Kimberly Winston in conversation with Harley Rusted. Canadian journalist and the author of Lost in the Valley of Death, a story of obsession and danger in the Himalayas. When we come back, we revisit the story of the Jewish holiday of Purim. According to Maharat Ruth Friedman, an Orthodox minister at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, DC, Esther is not the only woman who is important to the story. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Stay with us.